1: So if you have your Bibles today, please open to 1 Kings chapter 20. And I'm going to read through verses 16 through 28, and as I do, just that image behind you, that's actually out off of our deck when Claire and I were on vacation last week in Tennessee. That's the view of the great Smokies that we had. Uh, Talk about a beautiful place uh, and just sensing the majesty of God through that. So uh, I'm going to keep that up while I read through the verses and then we'll kind of pull it apart a little bit today. So in verse 16 and following, So they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings, helping him, were getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the provinces went out first. And Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying... Men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they have come out for war, take them alive. Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them. And each one killed his man, so the Syrians fled. And Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and the chariots, killing the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do, for in the spring of the year the king of Syria will come up against you. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are the gods of the hills, therefore they are stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places, and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voices and did so. So it was... In the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today, and as we just uh, read your word and study your word, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, fill this place, Lord, with your spirit, that we may have greater understanding of your word and of you, your character, your love, your grace. And Lord, that we would walk out these doors knowing and loving you more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the hills behind me and um, you know, represent just the beauty, right? The beauty that God's hand created. And notice between the hills, you know, if you look sort of as the hills go down between them, what do you see? You see a valley, right? And my thought was, you know, we can't have a hill without a valley. You know, it has to start someplace. It starts in the lower plains and works its way up. And so kind of keep that in mind as we go through the message today. A little background to today's story. You know, uh, the enemies of Israel were constantly attacking them. Back then, and even today, I mean, even to, today, they are sending rockets into Israel. Um, so it's been a constant battle over the centuries for the nation. Um, chapter, this chapter records two of those battles, two of those battles where the Syrians came against Israel, and we see God's hand in those battles, But there's also a story for us, many lessons for us, as we go through this passage today. Even though this event took place 3,000 years ago, and for us, I think one of the main messages that I took out of this passage is not to put limits on God. Not to put limits on God. You know, in the ancient world, and even to this day, many pagan religions attributed certain locations or domains to certain gods. Their gods were limited in what they had influence over. There may have been a god of weather, of fertility, of the space or the seas, a god of the countryside. There may have been a god of agriculture or water or property or possessions. And if you needed something in any of those areas, you pray to the God who had sort of jurisdiction over that domain. But as we'll see today, the one true God, the God of the Bible, is not limited by geography, location, or sphere of influence. And on a personal level, for us, He's not a God who can handle only some of your problems, but not the big ones. He's not a God who can handle someone else's problems, issues and trials, but not yours. There's no limits on what he can do. So, as we go through this message today, remember that we can limit God. We can have a limited perspective of God. We can sort of put him in a box, as this saying goes. Many of you have heard that, saying, don't put God in a box. Well, that's putting limits on a limitless God on a God who's all-powerful and all-knowing. And that was the downfall of Israel's enemies as recorded in this passage today. And many times when, when the, the victory is there and the defeat is there, we see the defeat because they just had, a bad, had bad theology. They had bad theology. You know, so why is theology important? You know, most of us kind of shy away from that word Uh, because it's maybe too deep or uh, we don't feel like it applies to our lives. It comes from a Greek word meaning the study of God. And Christian theology is studying the Bible in an attempt to understand God in a proper way. And this is important. Although you may want to try to avoid it, may think it's boring or it doesn't apply to your lives, but it is important to our faith. See, we get a right representation of God's nature when we have have good theology. We know His character because we study the Bible to learn about God, and His character is revealed in the pages of Scripture. And it's important as we navigate this life, right, that we can live knowing and loving God, being obedient to His commands, and ultimately being blessed because of it. This is all has to do with having proper theology, understanding who God is. So as we study the Scriptures, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays, in our own private study time, we learn who God is. We're able to grow in wisdom and understanding in His ways. And then by extension, we have a fruitful life, a God-honoring life. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 tells us, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. Peter tells us, that we have everything we need to live a God-honoring life. By studying His Word, we learn of His awesome promises. We know Him better. And the Bible contains all we need to avoid the pitfalls that can easily take us down. So let's jump into today's passage in verses 16 through 18. And it says, So they went out at noon, meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad had sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they have come out for war, take them alive. So point number one today is God can use our enemies' own weaknesses and limitations against them. Notice the king of Syria, first of all, in verse 16, was getting drunk with the rest of the leaders. Now, I don't think that that's a good idea before you enter into battle that you're getting drunk. But this obviously was one of the weaknesses of this king. And his men, and of course, you know, it always comes down from the top, right? If the king's gonna gonna be at the command post getting drunk, then the rest of the the rest of the uh, the army will feel like they can do the same thing. It says, "Men are coming out of Samaria." That's the that's the northern region of Israel, and so that's where the um, the battle was going to be taking place. And then he said to his men if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And so we, we read that, and then we, we, we see he says, and if they have come out for war, we're expecting some other instructions. But there wasn't any other instructions. It was the same command either way. So we're thinking, you know, and the Bible doesn't really, isn't really clear on this or not, was he just too drunk to give really good battle instructions to his men? If they come out, for peace, take them alive if they come out. For war, take them alive. It doesn't. It doesn't even make sense. But we see here that there's a weakness. There's an obvious weakness, and weak leaders will always result in tragic consequences. You know, we see it um, in in uh, in the um, armed forces. Weak leaders. We see it even in political in the political world. Weak leaders will result in tragic consequences for the people. You know, and we may be in the midst of a trial, and we don't see a way out, but God can often bring confusion to our enemies, right? And so he used that weakness against the king of Syria. We may not even realize what happened until we look back and we, we see that God was there throughout the whole situation, And it was all working out. It may take us a while to understand that. But it's always for His glory and always for our benefit. Psalm 89.22 says, The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. You know, David was called a man after God's own heart, right? And God was with him, with him in the battles. He'll be with us in our battles, amen? We're not alone in these things. Moving on in verses 19 through 21. It says, Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them, and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. Remember in the beginning it says that they were like they that that the Syrians had many more soldiers than Israel had. And yet we see here that Israel was able to overcome them. Was was able to have great victory in that. And that's awesome to see. And then we see that God, when God promises something, this is the second point, when God promises something, you can count on it. You can count on it. His promises are always true. You know, there are not many things in this world that we can truly count on to be reliable and dependable 100% of the time. You know, hopefully all of us have some family or friends that, Uh, we can depend on, you know, in our time of need. But even then, sometimes our our best friend will will let us down and maybe not even, you know, by their own fault, but just, you know, it happens. But God is dependable 100% of the time. He's reliable. He's faithful. When He promises something, He's going to deliver He promised, in verse 13 in this chapter, He promised Israel a great victory. And even though the odds were against them, His promises came true. 1 Corinthians 1.9 tells us, God is faithful, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that special relationship that we have with God through Jesus, His Son, and as we r- remain close to Him, as we abide in Jesus, we're going to experience God's faithfulness. We're going to experience his, his love. And we're going to understand that His promises will never fail. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us, For the, all the promises of God are in Him, and yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God. Through us. So how awesome is that. Amen and yes. When God says yes, it's yes. He's always faithful. His promises come with the full backing of God and his faithfulness. And then he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory because of it. Moving on in verses 20 through 22 to 25. And it says, And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go strengthen yourself. Take note and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills. Therefore, they are stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then you will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. A couple of interesting things in these verses that it says here. This is, now, this is the second battle. Okay, the first battle. Uh, we see that Israel overtook them. So now the Syrians regroup. The king of Syria gets his uh, troops around him and uh, he decides to make some changes to their strategy and says, okay, remove the kings and put in captains. So you're going to take out the sort of the political leader and put in now a military leader. So this should help. And then they figured, well, they're mountain people. The people of Israel are really mountain people, so they know how to fight in the hills. But if we fight them in the plain, if we fight them in the valley, they don't know that terrain as well. They're not as familiar with that. So we should be able to have great victory in that. And so he decides to, to enlist this strategy of uh, replacing the kings with captains and fighting Israel in the plain. Point number three, the enemies of God often underestimate his influence. Underestimate God's influence. You know, you may have people that, you know, are always coming against you because of your faith, but they, they underestimate what God can do in you and through you. And even in their lives, they underestimate what God's influence is. Now, of course, the king of Syria got bad counsel from his advisors who told him, you know, Israel beat us in the mountains, in the hills, but they they can't beat us in the plains. They underestimated God. They underestimated him. And because the region of Samaria included all the area in Israel north of Jerusalem, which is mainly hill country, the king mistakenly assumed that the God of Israel was only God of the mountains. Now, you know, we have the benefit of knowing the whole counsel of God, of having the Bible and experience God. And we know that he's not limited by that. But they thought he was only the God of the mountains and not the God of the valleys. Remember, again, that time, the ancient time, the, 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 all the different religions, and they had all these different gods for all these different things and we know that there's only one true God and he's the God of everything. The earth is God's and the fullness thereof, the Bible says. Everything. So we see here that you know, the, the mountains had a significant, uh, a significant symbolo- symbolic meaning to the people back then and even today you know if you consider sometimes um i mean even you know you look at the the view of the mountains and I, even while i was away i felt like i was closer to god you know it was just it you know you're up you're up high you're above everything and you know you just you just see the sky and how beautiful it is and you know we think about you know, in the Bible, we, you know, it talks about the Tower of Babel, right? They were building this great tower to get closer to God. You know, and we know that uh, that's man-made. That's man's efforts to draw close to God. Where God actually sent his son down, right? Humbled himself to get close to us. We don't have to go through all of those man-made things to try to get higher and get closer to God. So physically, a lot of times, people felt like there was, uh, if they could get higher in in physical stature, that they could draw, draw closer to God. We have this saying here that I saw when we were in Dollywood, yes, I see God where the mountains reach the sky. It was quite, sort of what, you know, kind of a, a saying that they have. And you can understand that. We can understand that, definitely. But God wants us to experience him, to see him in unlimited ways. Not just in church on Sundays, not just in our homes and our workplaces, but in our schools, our towns, in our cities. Everywhere we are, God wants us to experience his love and his grace and who he is. You know, I think because of the fact that there are many very important events that took place in the Bible on mountaintops, that we have this, this idea that God is a God of the mountains. You know, we think about Mount, Mount Sinai, right, where Moses received the Ten Commandments of God. We see God's hand of guidance upon his people there, you know, instructing them and telling them. How to live, and we see that see that in in that where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses in Mount Sinai, Mount Moriah. Remember where Abraham was put to that test of faith, and because of his obedience to God, he was uh, he was made righteous. And you know we see that as sort of a type of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And so we give significance to that. Mount Carmel, remember the story in Elijah and the prophets of Baal where there was this kind of competition between God and their false gods. And we see this showdown on Mount Carmel and we see how God just wiped them out. And we see great victory there. God's supremacy over false gods. We see that in the victory at Mount Carmel. Mount of Olives, you know, very familiar to us in the New Testament, you know, where Jesus often went there to pray. He went there to, to teach, you know. His ascension into heaven occurred there, right, at the Mount of Olives. And it's also where he will return. He'll, he'll put his feet back down on the Mount of Olives how what great significance there is there and of course the one that probably comes to mind more than more than any mount calvary where jesus was crucified demonstrating his love that ultimate sacrifice that that jesus made for mankind and so we see that we see the love demonstrated on mount calvary Cal- calvary so We think about it, and we understand it. We understand why people would think that way. And we think of just the majesty, right, and the size of the mountains. And we think of His sovereignty and His power. You know, when I went out on the deck in the morning with my coffee and had that view in front of me, it was like, you know, I felt closer to God. It It was just kind of that thing. But in our passage today, we see the king of Syria foolishly assuming that their defeat was due to the fact that they fought in the hills and not in the valleys. They limited God's influence. They had a wrong theology, a wrong understanding of who God was. And today... You know I think, as we relate as it relates to us, we see we kind of see an all out war about of uh against the things of God in our culture in our society. you know there are some who want to remove all mention of God from society and uh, and I think they 've also underestimated god they 've underestimated God working in and through his people who have been Empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out and share the love of Christ to a God-rejecting world, a world that wants to take God's influence out of every aspect of society, and yet he still will have influence. He will still get through that. God's power working through believers. 1 John 5.4 tells us for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So as God works through the faith of believers in this world, we will see his influence. Don't shy away from that, believers. Don't think the battle is lost. Don't think the war is over. Don't think that the enemy is, has won. Go out and share your faith. Don't be discouraged. If it looks like the enemy is winning, stay faithful to the end. Stay faithful to the end and just allow God's glory and majesty to be revealed. Verses 26 through 28 as we finish up. And so it was in the spring of the year, so this is the second battle, that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went up against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. But a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but He is not God of the valleys, therefore, I will deliver this great multitude into your hand and know, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So they filled the countryside and yet the, the nation of Israel had only a few soldiers to go against them. But see the promise of God. I will deliver. I will deliver. How many times has he delivered us? How many times has he delivered you out of what you thought was the end? How many times? How faithful is he to do that? And even when the odds seem stacked against you, he will deliver you out of that. Point number four today, God's influence is everywhere. It is everywhere, amen? You know, we see the enemies of God here attempting to overtake his people using rational thought and good, you know, maybe good military strategy, but a faulty understanding of who God was. A faulty understanding of who God was. And we look around maybe at the state of our culture, our society, and we wonder, does God have any influence anymore over the affairs of the world? We may even question whether God cares about what's going on. I mean, I understand that. I get that. You know, we see injustices, we see evil, and we see sometimes it go on without uh, any consequences, pervasive in society. But remember, too, that God's love and His grace and and in His great wisdom, He's given man free will. He's given man free will to do and to act according to kind of their own moral compass, whatever that is. But remember, uh, our moral compass will be off if it's not properly calibrated by the Word of God. You know, it's only as good as what's coming in. It has to, we have to have the Word of God informing us, informing our conscience to be able to guide us in the right way, to guide our actions. That has to be the number one thing, the number one thing that sort of calibrates us to go in the right direction. It's the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that ultimately God will have victory, you know? And I know, you know, the battles are tough. And it may be even a battle within your own self that you're dealing with. It may not be from outside. You know, you may have a battle against sin that you just don't think you're going to be able to overcome, but God can overcome that. Put your faith and trust in the one who has already gained victory. Already gained victory. So how does that affect us today? How does this passage kind of relate to us? You know, we can see the symbolism of it, right? But knowing what the Bible says is, isn't enough? Applying the truths of the scriptures and what we know about God to our life is really what it takes to navigate this world, to navigate this culture and in, navigate it in victory and not in defeat, knowing that God has won the battle. So again, we see the significance and the beauty and the, and the majesty right, of the of the mountains, and we understand that. But remember, at the beginning I said, what's between the mountains? A valley, a low place. And we need to consider the valley, don't we? We need to consider the valley. See, the valley is the thing that most Christians want to avoid, right, at all costs, thinking it's the low point in our walk and You know, and in the valley, maybe sometimes God seems far away, doesn't he? Doesn't he seem far away? But the Bible has a lot to say about the valley, which actually can give us a different perspective, a lot of positive things about it. Deuteronomy 8.9, 8.7 tells us, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. So a valley can be a place of abundance. A valley can be a place of God's provision on your life. Think about that. How awesome is that? When you're in that valley, God can still bring beauty into your life. First Samuel 17 Verse 2 tells us, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up battle, in battle array against the Philistines. And then in verse 47, it says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. A valley can be a place of victory. A place of victory. And even though it looks like the odds are against you, God will bring victory into your life in those places that you feel like you're the lowest and that you're the farthest away from Him. But give God the glory for that. Never, ever forget to give Him the glory. And in Revelation 16, verse 16, it says, And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Now, this is a valley of Jezreel between the mountains, and this is where that final battle will take place. And so what, what else can a, a valley be but a place of final justice, a place of final justice. When you think that this, the world is unfair and the wicked are winning and somebody did something against you and they'll never, they'll never ever get what's coming to them. And I understand that. I understand we've all been through stuff. Just know that there is a place of final judgment, final justice, where God's perfect justice will be meted out. Where He's going to be perfectly fair. And all of that will be taken, all of that will take place. The Bible tells us that God is the same, right? Yesterday, today, and forever. That he hasn't changed. He's good when? All the time. He's good all the time. In the mountains, in the valleys, in the high places, in our lowest places, he's still good. He's still there. The truth about who God is should always be what informs us with our perspective on what's going on in our lives. Never ever forget, no matter what we're going through, right? whatever situation, whatever trial there is, that God is always good. He's going to work things out. We may not see it. We may be impatient right? to, to really understand and gain that victory, but He's going to work it out stay close to Him.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have Children's Church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless.